back in chapter 39, Joseph endured one of the great injustices that we'll encounter. Despite being pure and righteous every step of the way in the way that he conducted himself with the affairs and Potiphar, the, the, uh, the, the master of the guard, in his home and with his wife, nonetheless, he was falsely accused and as a result, thrown into prison. But interestingly, as soon as he was thrown into prison at the end of chapter 39, he rose to take on greater and greater responsibility. It seems as though that if you govern yourself well, that you tend to then have opportunities to govern even more responsibility. And Joseph was clearly a man who knew how to govern his own passions and desires quite well. Uh, despite being described as a 17-year-old who was handsome and well-built, he was able to really be able to be strong in the way that he conducted his affairs. Mark Twain once said, when you're young, you avoid temptation. But when you're old, temptation avoids you. So at this point, Joseph is still young, and he's still having to avoid temptation. For some of us, not as big of an issue. But now we, now we pick up in chapter 40 with him in prison. By the way, Potiphar is described as the captain of the guard. Many have speculated, is this the same captain of the guard that is now overlooking this same prison? And if so, then maybe what has happened here, if it is the same captain of the guard, then maybe what has happened here is Potiphar has been so impacted over 10 years of service, perhaps by Joseph, so impacted by his character that he recognized that the accusation against him was likely impossible to really be ascribed to him. And also had to recognize that means that my wife has made this up. And so as to not shame his wife, he sends perhaps Joseph to prison, if it is the same captain of the guard, and there in prison goes on again to give him great responsibilities because he recognizes that God is with him. So we have a lot of reading to do. Let's get going. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. When you hear cupbearer and you hear baker, don't think of butlers in this case. What you really actually have in mind are officials. And the word is used here. They are officials in the court. Or maybe today we would use the word cabinet of the king of all of Egypt. It would likely be that the chief uh, cupbearer would have been in charge of all the vineyards of Egypt. And that would have been his great massive charge. And likewise, that the, the baker would have actually had charge over the grain, the granaries and all the workings of the agricultural side of, of Egypt. Interestingly, in his absence, someone else is going to have to manage the granaries. And we'll see how that works out in a little while here. The captain of the guard, verse 4, assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. Again, same phrase used in, in, verse, in chapter 39 for captain of the guard. After they had been in custody for some time, 
Each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. By the way, just to give some timeline here, we're not sure how each of the years transpire, but we know that that Joseph goes into Egypt and is sold into slavery to Potiphar at age 17. And we know that he ascends at the end of his ordeal at age 30. What transpires year by year in those 13 years? We're not sure. We just know the last two years that we'll read about in a moment from after he gives these interpretations to when he is brought before Pharaoh. But was he serving in Potiphar's house five years and then perhaps in prison another five years? We're not exactly sure how that goes. Was it, again, seven years, three years, nine years, one year? But but nonetheless, he is either a slave or in dungeon for 10 years before some of these events go, go down the way they do. When Joseph came, oh, I'm sorry, uh, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had its own interpretation. Thus, the, the title of the sermon is, I Had a Dream, but you'll see that this applies in many different ways. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. By the way, this is the idea of a fallen face, of despondency, but it's also something that is never described of another prisoner, that being Joseph. And interestingly, despite his conditions and the injustices leveled against him, Joseph never goes down that path of bitterness. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, verse 7, who were in custody with him in his master's house? Why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. And so we get the second in the Joseph narrative, the second of a series of duplicated dreams. In this case, they each have a dream, but we'll we'll see that the, the doubling and the couplets of dreams make a big difference throughout this time. We both had dreams, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. With the implication that God is the one who will help me. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches. And as soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. And so we we have the the first dream being described. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do, when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, and this is the closest that we see of Joseph bubbling over a bit with the injustices that have come his way. So listen, but when all goes well with you, remember me. And that phrase, remember, 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 is again a refrain throughout this portion of the narrative. Remember me. Show me kindness. Mention me. To Pharaoh, get me out of this prison. 
I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief cupbearer saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top baskets were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. And so this sounds a bit more ominous of a dream. Pharaoh doesn't appear. Pharaoh's not receiving anything from him. And even worse, there are birds in the dream. The only thing that could make a dream more scary than birds, I think, is if it also included a clown. But either way, this dream has a dread that just hangs upon it. And now, although he is wondering, uh, sounded good what I just heard before with the cupbearer, let's go ahead and field test mine. Let's kind of spitball this thing and see what you come up with here on this one, Joseph. And so, this is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. And the baker's thinking, pretty good so far. I've heard this already. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head rather than lift up your head. Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole. And the birds will eat away your flesh. Oi. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday and he gave a feast for all his officials he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of all his officials. And I'm sure at this point, Joseph has known that, okay, it's three days now. Perhaps he remembered me. He mentioned me. Maybe now is my deliverance out of this dungeon. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. When two full years has passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Now, before we get to that, I want to consider Joseph here for a minute. Joseph in prison. I think many times when I have an image of Joseph in prison, I view him as kind of being like in a white collar prison. Don't you? Like he's in charge of it all. You know, he's the one who hands out the ping pong balls and the paddles when people want to go play at the table tennis. Right, that, that, that has always been my mind because he's risen to such prominence. He's more like the warden rather than some sort of a, a punished prisoner in this very state. I don't know what, what, what you've kind of always thought about this, but that's how I always thought about this until... I really considered what the Bible more further described about this dungeon that Joseph was plaintively pleading, get me out of here. If you could do it, get, remember me, get me out of here. But look at what Psalm 105 says. His feet were hurt with fetters. Fetters are another word for shackles. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord 
tested him. If we were to have a more accurate picture of Joseph, maybe it would look more like that. Iron shackles around his neck, iron fetters upon his ankles that were causing distress day after day. And day after day, the word of the Lord was testing Joseph. What word of the Lord? I don't think it's the word of the Lord about the cupbearer and the baker. That actually transpired right away. What was the other word of the Lord that came to Joseph? His own dream. From some 13 years ago. And it's actually actually 11 years ago at this point. Because we're going to wait two more years until anything happens. And so 11 years ago, he had been given this clarifying image that something significant will occur in his life. As the sheaves of grain bow down to him. Again, it sounds a bit egotistical when he shares the dream, but he didn't make up the dream. God gave him the dream. Or when his star rises and the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bow down to his star, that was the word of the Lord to Joseph. Joseph, some way or another, you're going to take a trajectory of stardom. You're going to take a trajectory of honor that you will be a man of significance and you will stand tall among all men. And instead, he is slumped over with his shackle from his neck attached to the shackles of his ankles in a prison, wallowing. And now, just as he thinks, perhaps this is it. Perhaps this was the intervention that is going to be the pivot point of my life. It is now, the, the Bible tells us, two full years. And I would imagine again and again, Joseph, as he sat there, thought to himself, but I had a dream. But I had a dream. Think likewise for yourself. Perhaps as a young man or woman in Christ, of the dreams that perhaps flooded your eyes and soul as you thought about the things that you would do for God, about the unfolding of a life in Jesus and what that would be. And maybe those haven't transpired in exactly the way that you had hoped. And maybe you've had to persevere. Maybe that's been 10, 11, 12, 13 years, maybe twice as long as even that. But know this, what was happening to Joseph right here is the Lord, the word of the Lord was testing him. Was he going to hold to the word of the Lord or not? And by the way, what if Joseph had been delivered right at this moment in time? What if after the cupbearer said, hey, by the way, Pharaoh, oh my goodness, you got to check out this Hebrew guy. Talent to spare. Oh my, what he told me, word for word, nailed it. Oh my goodness. Even if it's not, if you don't have a dream, party tricks, let me tell you, get him in the court. We're all going to love this guy. Come on, bring him on up here. And up comes Daniel, uh, up comes Joseph, rather, the Hebrew, into the court of Pharaoh. And maybe he has no great significant role. And maybe what God had always 
been preparing and refining him for never would have gone down the way that it did. And maybe the course of your life right now is also being prepared and refined for very special, significant, golden opportunities of service to the Lord. And while you cannot deeply appreciate it right now, just as I'm sure Joseph couldn't appreciate it right now, once it's in the rearview mirror, that's when we're always like, oh my, who was I to doubt the Lord? Look at how brilliant, how brilliant is our God. You know, we all have come to Hampton Roads Church at, at different times over the years. Debbie and I came here in 1999. And we had come here right after we had moved to Charlottesville, Virginia. And we were newly married. We were leading the church. Uh, my, my two older boys from, from uh, previous marriage lived right there in Charlottesville. We had been three hours away from them. And now we had moved to Charlottesville. And I thought, hallelujah, it's all coming together. How beautiful is this to be able to have Zach and Chase in my life every single day? How sweet this is. Amazing. Up and down, one side to the other. Thank you, God, for the way that you've arranged our life. And then about four months later, I mean, just four months later, got a phone call from their mom saying... We're going to move three hours away. And I thought, oh, and, and just slumped at the thought of it and thought, my goodness, I've been waiting so long to, to be with the boys on an everyday basis like this. And now we're going to be three hours away again, which is exactly how far away we were before and how hard that was. And I knew how hard that was for years to be that far away. And and just began to, to, to cry and cry and cry. And, and as I was crying, um, the phone rang. And on the other end of the phone was a guy by the name of John Goodman, who many of you know. And John was discipling us. He had led the church down here. And he was discipling us as we led the church over in Charlottesville, Virginia. And on this phone call, he really sounded strange. And I wasn't at first being able to perceive it because I was trying to kind of act like I wasn't crying on a phone call, you know, and get my act together real quick, you know, cough a few times and, you know, suddenly I'm, I'm you know, back together again. And, and as I'm talking to John, he starts to act as though he's walking on eggshells. He's like, ah, oh, I got something I got to talk to you about. I don't know how to say this because I know your boys are there and, and this is so incredible and maybe there's going to be a way that this could work out, but I'm not even sure. But you know what? And I'm like, John, what is it? What is it? What, what, you know? And he's like, ah, well, we just had some, some meetings and, and everybody really did really come to the conclusion that we want you guys to move to Virginia Beach, the very place where my boys were moving. So instead of being three hours away in just 45 minutes time here, here in anguish for 45 minutes, the phone call that he thought was going to be such a difficult phone call was me saying, hallelujah. And John said, what? I thought you know, like you were you know, really excited about being with your boys there. Aren't you worried about what's going to happen? I'm like, John, you have no idea what, what God is orchestrating right now. Praise God that, that all of this is coming together the way that it is. Again, when it's in your windshield, these events are overwhelming. But when they're in your rearview mirror, oh my goodness. And little did we know all that God was preparing 
as he was taking us to what was becoming, as the Fontenot's would come and others likewise, this would become the premier teen ministry that our kids could have ever been a part of. And that God in his loving hand had, had put our children in a place where they had the best possible opportunity to be able to know him. And, and then right after that, to have launched and prepared one of the greatest campus ministries from here, where they were then able to go, again, to have the best possible opportunity to be able to know him. Praise God that, that he's brought all of this together. This is how, and many of us can share story after story exactly like this, where in the throes of it, when we're two years languishing in the dungeon of our despair, does God remember? Does God remember? Seems like everybody's forgetting. Where are you, God, in the midst of this? That all the while, the word of the Lord is standing firm in your life. And all the while, the word of the Lord is refining you and testing you for something rather remarkable that's coming your way. Moving on. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. Here we go. When out of the river, there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile, and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Interestingly, when, when this is in the original Hebrew, it says Pharaoh told them his dream in singular in that I think Pharaoh even realized there's something unified about these two separate phenomena that I just experienced. But anyway, verse nine, then the cupbearer said to Pharaoh today, I am reminded. Finally, somebody's remembering Joseph. God has orchestrated this so that the memory of Joseph would not languish for today. I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief cupbearer in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, told him our dreams, he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dreams. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. But praise be you, gracious king. Right? He doesn't say that. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. By the way, the only ancient nation that had a, a, a shaved look about them, and they shaved everything, by the way, 
were the Egyptians. That was a thing to them, not none of anyone else. By the way, to, we know this from various passages throughout the Old Testament, that to even have your beard shaved was a symbol of, of shame among the Hebrews. So this is very much countercultural for Joseph as, as he's being now shaved and presented with honor before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he deserves. You know, speaking of which, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was having difficulty and I would wake up after a dream and it was, it was quite disturbing. It was just odd, actually. But then the dream would repeat itself and, I, and I'd wake up again. And as a result, I was kind of, um, I don't know, just you know, sleep deprived. But I was very just short with people and, and curt and disturbed and just wasn't you know, being, being very, uh, I don't know, kind. And I was just uptight all the time. And so, you know, Deb is not only, you know, superwoman as a women's ministry leader, but she has a, uh, an alter ego as a doctor as well. And so she's, you know, that's when she puts on her Clark Kent glasses. Nobody knows who she is. And, uh, but she's a family physician and, you know, has, has, has training and counseling and all that. So I thought I'd go to Debbie and tell her, you know, I've, I've had these two dreams. They keep, they're really disturbing. And she's like, well, what, what are those dreams? I'm trying not to smile. Uh, and and I, I said, um, well, in this first dream, it's really weird. In this first dream, I dream I'm like the big top in a circus. Like, I, I think that's what it is because I'm looking down and I see an entire circus below me. But I, I feel as though I'm, I'm, I'm all around it. And it's weird. And, and, and I wake up, but I finally get back to sleep again. And she's like, well, what's the next dream? So then I dream I'm a teepee, you know, like a, like a wigwam. And same thing. I have this phenomenon of being... And again, you know, dream I'm a big top and I'm, I'm dreaming I'm a teepee, but I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. I need help. I'm uptight. This is rough. What, what's going on? And, and she, she was like this, able to tell me. She goes, it's so simple. You're too tense. <laughs> so anyway, moving on to Pharaoh's dream. Thank you, by the way, Debbie. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, and he relays the dreams again, just as we, we, we just read about. Uh, and then Joseph in verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind, they are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten. And perhaps Pharaoh, I mean, perhaps Joseph, as he's relaying this to Pharaoh, 
is even recognizing I had two dreams of abundance, of glory, of honor. But maybe they're being wiped out. Maybe they're being forgotten. But wait, here I am before Pharaoh. Here I am before him. Maybe God has not forgotten me at all indeed. Maybe as the cupbearer finally was reminded of me, all along it was God who was working in this process. It is just as I said, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. I'm sorry, in verse 33. And now, I'm sorry, um, verse 28. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and he will do it. Why two dreams? Why two forms? Why would God give two dreams to Pharaoh, two dreams to the baker and to the cupbearer? Joseph says, because it has been firmly decided by God and God will do it. This is, I think, a precious moment in the narrative because it shows what Joseph has held on to with the Lord, that he has recognized this great truth of verse 32. The matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it. Why had Joseph's face never fallen? Why was Joseph never dejected? Why was Joseph able to comport himself in the way that he did throughout all those 13 years of slavery and imprisonment? Iron shackles about his neck and his ankles. That kind of torment. Why was he able to? Because he knew the God he served. The God he served was not a God who promises with emptiness is not a God who flippantly makes a statement. But the God that he serves has established every matter firmly. It has been decided by God. And it was that conviction, that conviction about who God is, the hero of this story, God who has raised up Joseph again and again, God who has already written out the plan so that Israel would be provided for rather than be corrupted by the Canaanites or run into famine that would destroy them all. God the whole time has been working firmly and has decided that Israel will be delivered and that Joseph is going to play a significant role in all of it. The 11 other sheaves of grain are not gone. The stars and the sun and the moon, they are not gone. But Joseph is going to be used for their deliverance. And I think just as Joseph says these words to Pharaoh, he begins to realize the application of them for himself. God, what he has laid out, is firmly established. But now how about for us? We serve the same God. The same God who doesn't just Stream of consciousness. Oh, I'm just spitballing here. Let me throw... Hey, Holy Spirit, let's put some words on the page. We'll see what sticks. That's not at all the way that God has brought you His precious word and promises. Precious promises 
that can guide you even if it's 13 years of enslavement and a dungeon. Year upon year of shackle about your neck and ankles of suffering in the midst of that. All of, all of these promises are here so that you recognize no matter what the experience is now, that what is coming your way has been firmly decided for you by God and He will do it. He remembered his two dreams. His dreams from, from chapter 37. Two dreams affirming, confirming that the God he serves, the God he loves, is the God who is with him always. They will not abandon him. He has not forsaken him. He has not been forgotten. Nor are you. I don't know where you're at right now. As you wonder, does God even think of me? Am I significant in his eyes? Am I just some sort of a cog that doesn't really matter? You know, Psalm 139 says that he knitted you together. He formed you exactly the way that you should be. Yeah, with all your brokenness. You know why? Because you're broken in all the right ways to best be able to seek him. And perhaps if not broken in just those ways, your pride would have never opened the door for God to be presented to you and for everlasting promises of life to be your reality as you sit here right now. He goes on to say, and his thoughts for you, Psalm 139, his thoughts for you outnumber the grains of sand of the seashore. That's an overwhelmingly beautiful idea of a God who has not forgotten you, but a God who has been handcrafting the events of your life for you to be refined and strengthened. He's putting steel in the spine of your soul with every one of those things so that you can be all the more built for significant service to your king. What are some of these Again, to Joseph, it were those two dreams. To us, Hebrews 2, uh, 1 tells us that now he speaks to us differently. And by the way, you say, well, I wish I had, a, I wish I had it the way Joseph had. Like if God had come to me and given me these two vivid dreams that I knew were from God, you watch me. Watch me go and make a difference in this world. Really. If you had a dream 13 years ago and you had nothing else, do you think that would stoke your soul as much as 24-7 access to the full counsel of God? Again, we talked about this with Abraham. But I think if we even think that for a second, Joseph is going to take us aside in heaven and say, I heard what you said. <laughs> you had this at your fingertips? Every single moment guiding your every step. And you would have rather have had a dream about stars and grain and then nothing else for 13 years. And you would have done better with that. Yeah, sure you would have. That's why you weren't born until God put the Bible together and put it in your hands. He knew what you needed. What a dream. You needed the full counsel of God. And we've got it. 
We've got it. No matter what it is that we go through, we've got this. But what are we doing with this? This is the beautiful message from God who has given His Son. What are we doing with this? When you go through discouragement, despair, despondency, and other terrible D words, He has this for you. But my goodness, this most precious thing that is in your possession, is it washing over your soul? Is it melting your heart? Is it causing you to rise up from whatever the circumstance of your life, ready to realize, of course I serve an amazing God. Praise God. How about some of these? No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Wow. Talk about just the right time. Just the right words. He does this 10,000 other ways for us. How about this? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What a covenant. How about this? Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Or as we know Jesus' last words, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. By the way, you sit here right now and you have not surrendered over Two, the intervention and disruption of your life by God. By God who's making the path of repentance clear. God who's making the path not only of repentance, but, but also reconciliation and rebirth in Him clear. If you've not yet responded to, to all of that, then these words, please, make sure you understand this. They do not apply. N-A, not applicable. These are not the reality that you have right now. I'm not saying that it won't be. I'm not saying you have to climb a mountain or swim a sea to have it happen to you. But my goodness, don't sit here and think, oh, such precious promises. Yes, for the guy next to you, not for you. Do something about it, right? Stop dabbling. And, and let's go. Let's recognize that you've got a God who's made overture after overture Having all of this ready and available and applicable to you, my goodness, run after it so that you're sitting here, not kind of kidding yourself, but with a depth of confirmation of the spirit and your soul that, wow, that's right, that's right. This is my life. This is Stacy's life. This is, this is God's precious embrace of Stacy again and again. But you know what? It wasn't two weeks ago, but it is now. And, it, and, and even if it's not for you now, my goodness, what, what, what does it need to be? But probably a, a flash before these apply to you. Philippians 1, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I love this one. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, though you are evil... 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You know, he's addressing this to fathers. Of you fathers, even though, look, let's just face it. Here's God, here's you, you're evil. And if you fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, if you know how to take your son and bring him to a Girl Scout camp, my goodness, what will, what will God do for you? It'll be so much better than a boy in a Girl Scout camp. So much better than that. And by the way, I hear, because we're in a Girl Scout camp, that for the first year ever, we're actually going to implement the father-son dance competition. So we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Bring your cameras. Caleb, we can do this. There is no way to overstate the massive difference of the Old and New Covenant that the New Covenant includes the Holy Spirit within you. Spirit of Christ. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. Empowering you. God wants that for you. And he's given that to you if you've been regenerated by that Holy Spirit. And so to conclude, I want you to take a look at a promise of God that needs right now to change the way you think and to change the way you live. Don't just ponder it and don't just contemplate it, but share it with someone and tell them how and why this promise is going to have the effect that God's promises had on Joseph. How and why this will change the way you live, just as God's great character and his word was able not only to refine, but to sustain Joseph to the place where he was always meant to be. My goodness, if all of us live our lives every day washed over by the certainty of the promises of God to live with real hope, real hope, a hope of certainty of future events that is so deep that it is joy injecting, anxiety abolishing, changes the way that we live here and now. If that is where we all end up, all of us, all 800 of us throughout Hampton Roads, my goodness, God will have really brought about what he wanted as he laid out his word for you to be able to have it with confirmation. Amen. Uh, we're, we're actually dismissed to our fellowship.